You're listening to the Amazing Women Podcast, where we enjoy meaningful conversations with extraordinary women. These highly successful entrepreneurs will share their stories of remarkable success and occasionally some spectacular failures. Come join your host, entrepreneur and best-selling author Rob Kopman, as he shares this hour with you and these fascinating women. At the beginning of the podcast, Sandra mentioned something about a woman named Rita who left her job to raise two kids and came back to the workforce and was pretty much shut out of getting another job. Rita was a very interesting podcast guest of mine previously. Her name is Rita Kakati Shah, and I would encourage you to look through my podcast and listen to that one. It's one of my better episodes. I'm talking today to Sandra D. Robinson, actress, speaker, trainer, author, TV radio host, founder of CharismaOnCamera.com, nature lover, advocate, and personal empowerment enthusiast. Wow, she's done a lot of things. When she was an actress, she was in soap operas such as Another World, Sunset Beach, Bold and the Beautiful, General Hospital. And now she teaches people how to look good on camera, how to feel good. She uses horses for equine therapy, and she knows how to make you feel confident and go out there and do your best. I interviewed Sandra on Zoom, and the first thing I noticed when she came on camera was her beauty. She's a clear 10, no question about it. And so I couldn't help myself, and I asked her, well, Sandra, you're really beautiful. How much of that is your natural beauty, and how much of that is just lighting? You'd be amazed at the answer she gave me. She's a pleasure to talk with. She's an amazing woman. And here's Sandra. You know, I'm at the point, um, I don't know if you want to say that I took a hiatus. It's a scary thing to take some time off. Like, I mean, when I'm talking with Rita, she was talking about how taking time off for child, you know, childbirth and children. Yeah, killed her career. Took, yeah. I, but Body, I only so took, That's what made her start this new one. Yes, which I think was perfect. It motivated her because of her situation coming back in and how she was treated. Um, but no, I, I did, though, for the first time, kind of pull back from social media and everything when this COVID hit because I was trained. I'm trained. My big money coming in was training speakers for conferences. And, and I get my clients by speaking at conferences. So it was like, oh, wow. You know, and I did this initial panic. I did not handle it well. I did this initial panic. And then I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm just going to sit for a while. And that's hard for me. I'm ADD. It's hard for me. Um, but I did it. And now I think I'm kind of moving into a new avenue with my clients. And I'm, and I'm excited about it. I'm still, you know, never really sure just where it's going to go. But I'm able to pull in my background and the performance coaching that I've been doing with everything that has stemmed from my career in television still helping people with their voice, but then also um, the other thing that I'm doing, which is leadership and communication with the horses, a very natural approach. So everything that I'm doing is kind of coming together and um, developing something called un the unbridled life, which is kind of my, it's kind of my thing. It's kind of what I, wanna, what I want to do for people is to help them move from where they are to where they're designed to be. And I tend to write designed with a capital D. So, you know, I think that it's, it's in us to um, to really have that 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 flow, to have that spot where we feel we feel joyful and happy about what it is that we're doing, and if it's like a push uphill the entire time, we're probably off by a couple of degrees at least. So I tend to work with very successful people, but there's something that is costing. There's something that it's costing them, and it could be that they are two degrees off. It could be that they are so focused and stressed about their, their work that their relationships are failing. And so when I discovered that, you know, I'm not just working on people's performance, I'm not just working on their communication, I'm kind of working on the whole individual from the inside out. That's kind of what I've always done. So that's, that's where I'm going. So all the way from Hollywood to that. Yeah, Hollywood's different, that's for sure. Do you, you find any commonality between the people that you say you work with successful people, right? Um, do you see something that most of them a personality trait that they have, whereas other people who are not so successful don't have? Yes. And it's a good thing. Um, and I would just say the first thing that comes to mind, there are a few, but the first thing that comes to mind is drive. Drive. Okay. Drive. And the second would be purpose. So it's purpose driven. I think a lot of the people that come to me, so there's a drive that they feel that they, especially for the women, 
that they can't say no. While it's here, they have to say yes. They have to keep moving forward and putting more on their plate and they accomplish it. And like my husband says, you know, his joke is, don't be so good at something if people ask you to do it because then they'll ask you all the time, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of truth to that one. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something that, that I noticed that particularly the women do. They, they have a full, full plate and they just keep saying yes when, even when there's pieces of them that are crumbling. It could be their health. It could be um, a lot of times it's their health. It could be their personal relationships, um, their social life. But all, and while they think all oh, social life isn't that important, we're social creatures. That's very important. Yeah, that's been made pretty obvious with this COVID thing. People are losing their mind over being alone. That's what I was going to say. It's like an it. increase in depression. So um, the the people that I when I say driven and um, and they love it, they if they have if they can connect with their purpose, they can they can blow it out of the water. I mean, it can be amazing. But if they get so driven that they lose the sense of what they're all about, what they stand for, no matter what, what their calling actually might be. And your job may not be your calling, but your, your job or your career may be the thing that funds what is on your heart to, to change in the world. And so those are the people that I, that I tend to, to attract. And I love that. I, I, I treasure that. It's a wide variety of fields of people that I work with from realtors to, um, to C-suite people to, um, trying to think of who are some of that. Well, okay. A couple of them have been, I've worked with a couple of supermodels. Um, singers. Yes. The ones that I work with. Yes. Because they, they wouldn't well, have, it's extremely competitive. You're never making unless you're extremely driven, right? It's true. Although there's an insecurity. Yeah, I know they're all insecure. Only somewhere. I mean, I think there has to be something that's a fire in them that keeps them going because the stories that I've heard of what they've dealt with have been re- Ridiculous. I mean, and I've had it done to me. One of the last times I walked into a commercial agent, I think I was still in LA, and I had it done to me where I walked in and the two owners of the agency literally started talking in third person as if I wasn't there, saying, Oh, she's kind of Christy Brinkley pretty. She would have been she would have been great in the nineties, but I think her look is out. I'm like, I'm right here. Wow, I'm, rude. Like, I'm right here. Yeah, <laughs> and they, they treat you like them. a number. Yes. And that's what they do with these girls, you know. Um they fly them in an overnight flight or across the ocean and expect them to land in London and look fantastic. I'm like, why do you look so tired? Well, because you flew her overnight on a plane. You know, she yeah. looks tired. I don't want unrealistic her. expectations, it sounds like. But at the same time, obviously it works because you see all these models and they look great. So it's difficult. It's really hard on their bodies and on their minds, I suppose. Yeah. But yet they pull it off and that's what makes them... A top model, right? They're able to pull it off, even if it's only for a few years before they completely fall apart. Yeah. And then the ones that have a good business mind or or learn business are the ones that are able to actually go and do something great with it. So it's a platform, you know, kind of like acting the platform. And if you use it the right way and keep your head on because it can be cruel, Mm -hmm. then it's a good thing. It's a good thing. So is some of this drive actually um Ambition or is it fear-based? In other words, are they afraid not to say yes? Well, what's the difference between ambition and fear-based action? Well, one's a push, one's a pull, kind of. You know, like you, you might want to do something because, oh, that looks like a great idea. I can't wait to try that. That's, and let's go, let's go. Come on, let's go, let's do it. That's ambition. The other side is, well, I better go do that because if I don't, somebody else is going to come in and take my place and I'm going to be out of work or I'm not going to be number one anymore. So I, I better go do it. And uh, I am now dedicated to go and do whatever that thing is. So the end result's the same, but the first person is doing it because they really want to get there. The second person is doing it is because they don't want to fall back to where they came from or something right. like that. So it's a moving towards in the first place and a moving away from a running away from in the second. See, right? it took me 50 words to say, you said it in 10. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why you well, do what you do. That's actually why we do the motivation, you know, conversation. But, um, but, but it's true. I mean, and the funny thing is, I think it's split 50-50. I think that half of the people, and I always say when it comes to my people, when I'm, I have a new copywriter that I hired, and this always happens when they start to write their, their copy for me, I'll find words and I'll go, yeah, you know, that's not going to work for my people. And, they, you know, they'll say, well, why? And I said, well, because they're not looking for confidence, they don't want people, they, like they think that they're confident. They don't know that that self-doubt 
that is that like thing that's burning in them. It burns in every single human being when we're about to go through a major transformation and break through to something that's really good for us. That self-doubt's going to crop up no matter where we are. doesn't matter how much money we're making, how long we've been in business, how wise we think we are. There is still going to be something that is going to get in our way. They will never admit that they don't have confidence. So to say, get confident in my, in my copy isn't going to work. And the way I would describe it to my copywriters is I said, my people have a little ego, <laughs> but it's not bad. It's, I think it's a healthy, there's a healthy way to have an ego. It keeps you safe. It is the thing that keeps you going. It is the thing that says, I want to get there before the next guy. It's that competition that's like, I want to show up well. That's, that's the healthy ego. And I think my people have that for sure. That is the moving towards. The moving away from, um, you know, sometimes I think they go from moving towards to that fear-based. And that's when I see the this little signs that they may be slightly off, that they've let their drive get too much of them. So they've reached a level of success and maybe they're now doing something that doesn't really light them up in their spirit. You know, they don't feel joy about what they're doing. They're just kind of going through it. And they, and people would look at them and go, you have the best job. You get paid the most money. You have all this respect. And there's still something in there that's like, yeah, I have this now. This is what I fought for, but I'm not really happy. So then there actually is some fear that sets in and well, starts to kind of undermine don't them. like going backwards, right? Yes. Uh, you know, you can make 30 grand a year and you say, oh God, if I can just make another $5,000, I'd have it made. And then yeah. you make the $5,000 and now 35 and you, you're happy for an hour and a half. And then you say, <laughs> you know, I, uh, oh, if I could just make 40 and then you're making $4 million a year and you're flying all over the place and buying houses and suddenly you go, oh man, if I, I just lost $500,000 on the stock market. I still have three and a half million dollars in my bank account, but geez, I just lost half a million dollars. That really hurts. And they're just as upset as the person making $30,000 a year that loses $100. Yes. Because nobody yeah. likes going backwards. No, no. And I think, you know, an interesting thing is when I think back on the, the years that I spent in TV, when as an artist or as an, as an actor, especially working in TV or, or working in film, you get the job and you don't get everything you audition for. I had a pretty good ratio of booking during my years, which was great. I was very spoiled. Um, but, you know, maybe you get one in 10, most people. So you go out 10 times, you get refused, you get one. And then maybe it's a really good job and you land on set and you're like, this is fantastic. They're paying you really well. And after the end of the first day, I guarantee the thought is, how long is it going to last? When am I going to get my next job? Oh. And then you get the fear. It's so, like, like in sales, same thing. You know, yes, I've been in sales my whole life. And yes. you have to talk to 20 people before somebody says yes. And yes. then after they say yes, you wake up in the morning, you're unemployed again. You have to, oh, yes. we're not going to talk to you now, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. The pipeline is empty. Got to yeah, get out yeah. and start going again. Yeah. And it's, it's very much the same. So there's a drive to get to a certain place. And then I think fear sometimes drives as well. As long as the fear doesn't overtake it, it should be motivating. You know, I, that's what got me out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and took me to New York was the fear of staying where I was. Hmm. You well, know? About, um, let's see, we talked about fear. We talked about drive. Mm -hmm. What about when people say, well, life is about the journey, not the destination. Uh, for example, you know, this is kind of an odd example, but when I go traveling and I want to go see say I'm in, you know, whatever, I'm in Rome and I want to go see the Colosseum because I heard, you know, he's seen pictures of it all my life and I'm like, okay, let's go to the Colosseum. It's iconic, right? You get to the Colosseum, it's cool, but eh, after two minutes, it's kind of like, is that all there is? But yeah. I have always really enjoyed the stuff that I found or did or saw on the way to get to the Colosseum. It wasn't yes. the, the, you know, I went to the Eiffel, the Eiffel, the Eiffel Tower is actually the only thing that I've seen in all my travels that didn't disappoint me for some reason. Really? Said, oh, this is amazing. And then it gets tired of looking at it. Everything else was, oh, I really enjoyed that, uh, you know, that guy we met on the other street there, we got into a conversation with him and, or that little thing we saw, that little statue, whatever it was, was more thrilling than the actual destination. So with people we have to have goals and we strive for, for things, whether it's money or accomplishment, fame, acting part is the, sometimes the journey getting there more rewarding than once you get it. Yes. Well, I think, you know, the, uh, there's a secret to enjoying the journey 
I think. And in the secret is to, in the secret to being happy, right? Or I should say joyful. Happy is a temporary state of mind. Hmm. Joyful is somebody that you meet all the time. They go, oh, they're so positive. You know, they always have, look at the bright side of things. The glass is always half full. And I think that those people have something that, that we do so little of these days. They know how to be present. And I work on that a lot. When I'm with my horses, it's a natural state to be in because horses don't, they don't know any different. They don't live in story. They don't know what's going on except for this moment right now. You ask a horse what time it is and they go, well, it's now, now. <laughs> what do you mean? What time is it? I guess you know? they're always right. Yeah, they're always right. That's right. They are always right when it comes to that. And they will force you if you want to be, that's one of the reasons that I do the leadership work with, um, particularly with women, but I work with groups of, with men as well. But when I have the ladies, so you may hear me just automatically say ladies, but um, so when I have the ladies come in and I, I set them kind of free without, you know, with this 12 to 2000 pound animal, go, go build a relationship, you know, mm-hmm. go see how that works. And they may say, I want the horse to do this with me in partnership. It could be walking, it could be running, trotting, moving to the right, moving to the left, whatever. I just say, what is it that you would like to accomplish once they have this little meet and greet? And if they aren't in the present moment, chances are that horse is going to ignore them. Just ignore them, huh? Not, not. Or won't won't really listen, won't really connect, you know, and I'll have to say, you know, what are you thinking right now? I noticed that the horses, you know, not really paint. And, and they'll say either they're thinking about something in the past, they're thinking about something in the future. Maybe the horse is reminding them of a situation. So they're thinking of the past. That's not necessarily a bad thing. That's something for us to work on. But, or they're trying to be something that they're not, which is in essence, not being present, right? right. So when somebody says, I am, I am a good leader, I'm a good leader, you should follow me. And they don't really think that they're a good leader. That's not really being truthful in the moment and being present. It's hard for us to do that because we're constantly connected to electronic devices. We're constantly being pulled left, right, sideways with notifications and rings and dings. And I'm actually sitting on my phone, which is silenced right now, because if it lights up, I'm going to be drawn to look at it and say, who's <laughs> reaching me? Who wants me? Right. And you know, what, what do I have to look forward to or whatever? And it's hard for us to be in the present moment, but that is why you can enjoy the conversations with the people on the street, Rob, because you were present and you were open to it. And when you're present, you're also open to being kind and to receiving kindness. And I think a lot of strife comes when I have these ladies and men that I work with that are in this driven path that are so exhausted. They will a lot of times come to me and say that their health, you know, had a, had something happen with their health. So they had to slow down and, or they, they had their, sometimes their adrenals were actually shut down or they're just exhausted at the end of the day, or they're finding themselves drinking more wine and more whiskey. Like a lot of us recently, you know, with the whole COVID thing, like we did that, right? Um, I interviewed an interesting woman yesterday. Uh, She's from uh, from Ireland mm -hmm. and and she's a pretty, if anybody satisfies the definition of amazing women, she's it. You know, I mean, you're pretty amazing too, but I got to tell you, this woman listening to her story was really incredible all the things she did and how, how quickly she did some of them. And I said, well, weren't you exhausted? And she said, yeah. When there was, all of a sudden, one day, I couldn't get out of bed. And it took me four months to get back to who I was. She wore herself out so badly yes. that she really damaged her, her health. Then she yeah. was in the present because <laughs> she couldn't do anything. But before yeah. that, she was always in the future. What do, how do I get there? What do I do? What do I do? What, you know, how many people? How many of this? What's that? Um, that's the drive I'm talking about. That's the drive. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And the, you can accomplish amazing things, but there's a, there's a risk there. There's a, like, there's, a, there's a wall that you can scale. You know, Is that my cat that you hear? Can you hear him? Yeah, I think so. Sorry. <laughs> it's the hazards of, of you know, working and, and Zooming from home, right? Um, so I think there's, that's the, that's the wall that you can easily fall off of on the other side, you know? So it's, um, it's, it's a, it's a tricky thing, you know, and it helps to have, that's one of the reasons it's good to have a mentor or a coach or somebody with you that goes, Hey, you know what, you need to just go hang with your family for the weekend, you know, or you need to take a break. Yeah. Take the day off because you're at that point of diminishing returns. The more Mm -hmm. you work, the less you get done. So take a a couple of days and come back. Yeah. My husband has a great phrase and he keeps me in line a lot of times and he'll say, and I'll say, I'm so tired today. And he goes, maybe it's your body's weekend. 
<laughs> what he means by that is that and I know what he means. He says funny things sometimes, but I know what that means. It just means that like your body's going, hey, I need a break. You know, even if it's just a couple of hours that I just go to bed early or sit and read a book and disconnect from the work that I'm trying to do and give myself that time. You know, it's your body's weekend. And it's good to tune into that. And sometimes it takes somebody outside of me even to be able to say that. So something you said struck a chord with me. You're explaining how horses are in the present mm -hmm. and things they can teach you with that demeanor. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, dogs are like that too. Dogs are usually in the present. They don't really think about the future. At least I don't think they do. They don't act like they do. I've learned a lot from my dog about yes. how to do things and just how to be. Um, but I know horses are different. Uh, what's the difference between a horse and a dog in the way they react to the people? Well, it's the way they see the world. A lot of people don't realize because a horse is so big and a lot of people have a fear around them because of their size and their strength and, and you know, whatever they might have gone through as a child, maybe they got thrown off or something. I do have people that are very fearful of horses. Um, so it's hard for them when I say they're like giant deer or a, a giant bunny, you know, they're prey animals. They mm. look at the world completely different than we do. We're, we're predator, so is a dog. So we actually have a lot in common with how we see the world as the way the dog sees the world. So we can understand each other pretty good. Um, horses, it is only, it's taken us until probably the last 10 or 15, maybe 20 years with people starting to understand this whole thing about natural horsemanship, that a horse is a sentient being and actually thinks on his own. And we can work with that and wait a second, what's happening here? And understanding that they have more value than just whipping them into shape and expecting them to work for us until they can't anymore. Um, and, and they've been an incredible building block for our society. I mean, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have railroads. I mean, it, you know, they, they really did. We used them to build this country. But now we're at the point we don't need them to do those things. And we finally started to realize that there's value to them outside of that. And it's because of the way they see the world. It's the energy that they read in the moment because that's how they survive for 500 million years. We're newbies on this planet next to there them. We are. And they survive because they are able to tune in to what is happening to them at all times. Their eyes are on the side of their head. Their ears have, you know, all these muscles that will actually turn their ears almost 180 degrees. So they can be aware of their entire surroundings much more than we are. Our eyes are like predator in the front of our head. Yeah, they seem um, to come across almost as telepathic, like a they, rider they on top of a horse. Maybe they are. Uh, you know, yeah. you don't really pull the reins or kick right. them. You just, you just think, I want to go right. And then the horse goes right because in, yes. very, very minor twitches to your body, right? Are actually yes. telling the horse, you don't even realize it, but the horse picks up on it. Yeah. If, right? if the horse has been treated well, you know, and. Well, and that's true with everything. It, it's true. Yes. I mean, they carry some baggage if they've been through some stuff, some tough stuff. But even that said, I had a horse that was trained very well, but first through you know, traditional methods, kind of fearful. And she trusted me and she was one of those. I could think something and she would do it. And there have been some really interesting books written and studies, research papers that were done on autistic children, particularly Asperger's children and horseback riding and what they were able to do and how well they were able to compete. And some people do think it's because for both of them, language isn't the first thing. It's, it's telepathic, it's body language. It's, you know, so they kind of communicate in the same way. And so they've been able to do amazing things. That's one so, of the reasons that horses are so valuable in that autistic world for that type of therapy too. Uh, yeah, I know even my daughter went through some equine therapy a while back when she was a teenager and it was very <laughs> helpful. Yes. Um, so do you think, or what's, you know, what's the research prove out? Are horses actually telepathic or are they just sensitive to pick up those little cues that we give that we don't realize we're giving? I think it's a little of both. I think um, I, I, and I geek out on reading biology and zoology books. I mean, like my husband looks at me and goes, what is that? I remember one time I get in and I've been reading about interspecies communication and all this and, um, and great. I mean, Carl Safina wrote one of my favorite books ever about how animals communicate. And they were all stories that were considered anecdotal. So the scientists couldn't put them into their research papers, but it was what they had experienced when in the field. And he put this book together, which is fantastic. So, um, so I went from that to sitting down with a smaller book in bed and he looks at me and he goes, oh gosh, what is that? 
I said, it's how plants communicate. And he looks at me and he goes, or if you tell me I can't trim our, our trees anymore, I go, maybe you can't. Maybe you can't. Maybe I have to stop you from doing that. Oh, you know, plants do feel and think and, and they react. And you could tell, if you look at a big field and you can see at one end of the field something happening and the grass is bending or whatever. And you look on the other side and suddenly it starts doing the same thing. And it's not like the wind did it. It's just, right? and I know there's this huge network of, uh, roots systems, fungi. mushrooms. Yeah, I'm a fungi. Yes, fungi. Yeah, definitely yeah. communicate. It's pretty. It's yeah. hard for us to understand it, but it's there. And I've heard enough stories to know that it's true. It's. I've the stories were fascinating to me, and I I I cringe now when my husband trims the trees, but we do have to because we've got oak trees over roofs. Yeah, well, like, I know. We have to do those things. I just love but, two big branches off my olive tree, but I don't. I'm always confused about how, on the one hand, people, especially religious people they believe in god god is everywhere god created <laughs> everything and, and everything is connected i believe the whole world's connected everything it's all energy anyway but yes all connected but they don't seem to make the connection that we communicate with everything you know they make the insects or the the grass or the vegetables whatever it is as something totally different Separate. and they don't even consider yeah. that we might be connected to them in some way yes. I don't understand that. I mean, I, I've witnessed it growing up a lot, but I, I, I have a hard time understanding that. Like, yeah, I know where they see things totally separate. Like they'll say, oh, uh, I don't wear fur, but I eat meat. And that's me. I mean, I do have to eat meat, but I just say, because my body does not do well on vegetarian diets. So I, I do my best. And then every once in a while, I have to have some meat. Yeah, but, but do I you eat veal I, and lamb? I don't eat veal and lamb. See, so you're kind of consistent. That's how I am. I, I, the other day, my wife says, let's get some lamb chops. I said, oh, you want to eat babies, huh? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I wouldn't buy them. But then there's that slippery slope. Yeah. It's like, okay, what age are they not yeah. babies? You know, what age is it okay? And yeah, where do you draw so, the line? Everybody has the line in different places. I, I love Italian food, and I love veal scallopini and marsala wine, and I make a really good one. But I haven't had veal in 20 years because it just goes against me. Yeah. I think once Cows you- Cows are different. You know, I don't know why, but I consider them different. And I see it. I got to the point where I don't. I don't. You don't. Everything's yeah. the same. Okay. No, All right. I, just, I, you know, here's what I think. If you're like me, or if you're if you're a mediator, just try to do the, try to do the best. Like if we know better, I truly think that I believe in the good in people, and I think if we know better, we do better. So if you know what an animal goes through in the American agricultural system, it's usually pretty awful. Oh, it is awful. Yeah, it's awful. So it is awful. Yeah. And so if you can find another way. I mean, who knows? I could be being lied to, right? If I buy, you know, grass-fed, local, humanely raised farm. They say that it's all those things. So you can just do the best that you can. I mean, unless you're actually raising yourself. And I couldn't, so. Cage-free chickens, all it means is that they're all smashed together in a big building instead of being in a box in boxes, right? doesn't (laughs) matter. But, yeah, you start um, to learn how they get away with that. It's like, oh, oh, okay. You know, we're being, <laughs> being, we're being swindled. What's happening here? Yeah. So yeah. at this point, I want all my listeners, you know, raise your hand. Let's <laughs> see you, but raise your hand if you don't, you're surprised that this former soap opera star is so philosophical and deep thinking <laughs> and settled in her, her self, you know, and you come across <laughs> as... Uh, You've thought about a lot of this and, and you are happy with your interaction with the world. I think you've developed a healthy respect for the planet and those around you. And uh, it's a journey. Yeah, it's a journey. So, you know, I guess your acting career was in the past. Just I know that people don't really think they see a, <laughs> they see a soap opera star and being overly melodramatic, you know, and, and then, you know, think that that's a real person it's just an actor when you they leave the set they could have all kinds of deep thoughts right well it was a great job it was a great job for me so but life hasn't always been easy for you you know what is what was some of your challenges way back that were really difficult to overcome two main down to the path you're on now yeah i think one of the biggest um difficulties that really has just kind of come to I don't want to say a conclusion, but I've actually learned to appreciate it in the last maybe five years, appreciate it completely, is um, my mother was pretty high on the sociopathic scale. Ooh. Yeah. It's not hereditary. You don't need to worry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Okay. I've only played a homeo, homeo, uh, uh, a psychotic person on TV, yeah. um, which I for a while there I get like three jobs in a row where I was a, a homicidal doctor. I'm like, how does that happen? Like, what what am I doing that people look at me and go, she'd be perfect? You know, how am I walking in the room? I have to really look at that. Like, what am I putting forth? It must um, be the opposite, which makes you a good person because people don't expect that kind of behavior from somebody like you, which makes it more effective. I don't know, but I have to say playing those characters was a lot of fun and I had a lot, I didn't realize I had a lot to pull from because I grew up with somebody that had no conscious. I mean, she really, it helped because when it actually kicked me in the later years here, it actually kicked me into more researching even more of the psychology than I ever did when I was an actor. And I got involved in that when I was an actor because I, that's part of the job. You know, so I learned about the hierarchy of emotions and I learned how to best relay that so that other people could feel it. And that was my job. Now, I was never, I was never going to be an award-winning, Academy Award-winning actress. It just wasn't in my, that was not my drive. That's not my calling. But it was a great job for a while. I didn't realize that it wasn't my calling until I had a friend say to me, I would just shrivel up and die if I couldn't act. And in that moment, I was getting paid a lot of money <laughs> and I had a great So why'd you quit? Job. And I went, oh my gosh, that's not me. There's something else for me. And that was great. But I actually became an actor because my mother was so cold to me and told me that life would be better if I hadn't been born. And so repeatedly on a daily basis- She actually said that to you. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And worse, I guess. Yeah, it's terrible. I always joke, people ask me, how come you're not rich, Rob? I say, well, because I had a, a really nice, nice upbringing. My parents were good to me. They loved me. They were supportive. I don't have any of those horror stories in my past. So, you know, I, I, uh, I'm not we quite can driven. Find, we'll dig one up, Rob. We'll dig one up for you. It's never too late. We can find something hidden in the recesses. Of the oh, brain. yeah. I've had plenty of strife, but it didn't come from my parents. Although my mother is rather negative at times. She's... Uh, She's the quintessential former New York Jewish older lady. Yeah. You know, you can go down to South Florida, and that's where she was living for a while, actually. And you know, there's the old joke: a waiter walks into a restaurant with these four Jewish elderly ladies playing cards or something, and he says, "Excuse me, ladies, is there, is anything all right?" Always <laughs> 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 complaining about something, you know. Uh, well, see, that set you up. But, that's something. So that was know. something. But but yeah. on balance, she was wonderful. Is a wonderful person. Very creative. Very kind. Um, you know, I had it easy. I know how lucky I I, I am. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's neither here nor there. Well, I think I was lucky to have a mother that wasn't you know normal. I mean, honestly, it's less than five percent of the population that can have a brain like wired like hers. And it wasn't until really the last few years that I actually read a book about case studies of that particular type of brain. And I said, oh my gosh, they had little verbiage and the, the manner in which they speak. And it was, it's her, but it freed me up. And, and I think it's freeing up my siblings as well. And they were 14 and 18 years older than me because you realize that it wasn't us. Oh, well, that's nice to know. Yeah. Not us, right? So the things that were fed to us were not, they were lies, essentially. And that's, I see that a lot with people I work with, that there's things that have been still sitting in them, even if they're in their 60s, that they haven't let go of because mom said it and, you know, or dad said it. And my father was, was wonderful. I just, he was working really hard most of the time. And so I didn't see him as much, but he was, he was amazing. And so that was the first thing that kind of set me it did light a fire in me somehow that even though it was very painful to me to be treated that way, there was also something in me that says, I'll show you. And it might've just been that, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but there was something that said, I'll show you when she so said- that's you. So just how famous did you get? You know, how successful were you? I, I plead ignorance here. I'm not a soap opera fan. I, I've <laughs> heard of you, but I don't really know a lot about you. So, you know, without being modest, just tell, yeah. tell, tell me, you know. Well, uh, you know, I have to put this, you have to put this in, in how can I put this? Uh, Historical I to, I perspective? It, yes, uh, but in a, in a healthy perspective, because when you're in that industry, probably like music or any other art industry, you always feel like there's, there's somebody that's putting you down because I worked in TV, I didn't work in film. Oh, you work in TV, you're not a theater actor. You know, that there's well, always that, did you, did you win an award? No, I didn't win an award. Oh, 
you know, <laughs> there's always some, can you sing? Well, not publicly. Oh, do you dance? No, not really. Oh, what I mean, food that they put in your dressing room, right? <laughs> there's always, yeah, there's always something that makes you think mm. I am not worthy. And then once I finished, like I had done actually a couple of decades of working pretty consistently. I never waited tables. I just continued to work. And, and I had one character that I played for nine years and they went on for one or two years each to work in six other shows. And, and one of them, as soon as I left, did win an Emmy. The show won an Emmy. But as soon as you left, huh? As soon as I left, yeah. And it was only because I moved, I, moved to, I moved to Texas. And then oh, okay. what it was wasn't. The, some of those soap operas, what was the one they did for nine years? Uh, I played a, a character called Amanda on Another World for nine years. I started off, that was my first job. So I kind of grew up on that show. And then I went to Bold and Beautiful, Sunset Beach, uh, Days of Our Lives, General I Hospital. All those. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, a lot of those have been around for a really long time. Yeah, they're big. And, I, I was working regularly. And, and then, you know, I have to put it in perspective. Yes, it was in film. Yes, it was, you know, it was soap operas. But I was able to be one of the top percentage in that union that actually makes the, I mean, the, the small percentage that actually makes the majority of the money of the union. So it's just like anything else, like the top 10% really is what makes the ability for us to have that union, have the things that we do, like the healthcare and all of that. So in reality, I was very successful in that industry. There are people that are way more talented than me that work so, you know, to work so hard. They're always in class and they're very talented and they should be making a gazillion dollars and winning, winning all kinds of awards and their heart is in it and they might never get a break. So for whatever reason, that was what I got to do and I got to bring attention. And this is where the second piece of growth was when you asked me, um, the second struggle was, I was very introverted. We were talking about this before we started recording this. Was very introverted in part because of what my mother had fed to me. And so I didn't speak up. I didn't even look people in the eye. And so it was the, the challenge came when I was able to go in, nail the audition, get the job, be someone else. Because I didn't have to be me. If I'm acting, I'm someone else. Sure. And then when I stepped back into my own clothes, I had to walk out the door to the fans that were waiting outside the studio. Well, when you walked out the door to the fans, were you you or were you still a character? Were you I playing was, a character? Or were you playing a character of an yeah. actress who's successful, who's meeting their fans? Or was it Sandra D? I I sometimes did exactly that to get through it. Yeah. And then, but I would still be shaking. Like I would still be shaking. Hmm. It was very, and there were times that maybe I didn't have the energy to do that. And I would, I would run out the back. I would not go out <laughs> the front. And then I started thinking that's really unfair for some of these people that came you know, maybe from New Jersey out to the studio in Brooklyn to see me or from all the way across town in LA to come to where I was working. And so I had to, I had to really work on that and say, what's wrong with me? You know, anytime that I would have the opportunity to raise money, say for a charity, they would bring the cast out and we'd be bringing people in. They'd be spending money and making this charity um, able to pay some bills, which is fantastic. And if somebody handed me a microphone and told me to say something, meaning as me, I would at one point, I blacked out, and it was not wow. powerful in that at all. I would get major media exposure and wouldn't know what to say because I didn't know that I had any value. So my journey was, you know, at that point, I thought there's something wrong with me, really wrong, because I have the dichotomy here that's just not working. I can't have a conversation with somebody that I don't know, yet I have all these people that are waiting to meet me. I'm so, willing to bet that's more common than it is rare. It's common among CEOs too, right? I don't, yeah, but I anyway, let's, let's change the subject for a minute because we're, we're going to run out of time. And there's a few things mm -hmm. I want to ask you. Um, I know when I first met you, I asked, asked you this question because uh, you, uh, as part of your current career, you, know, you work mm -hmm. with horses and people or people and horses, depending people on how you look at it. People and horses mostly. <laughs> people first. <laughs> okay. Have it your lucky, way. If you're lucky, the horses. Yeah. <laughs> but you also teach people how to look good on camera, especially mm -hmm. these days. There's the run-of-the-mill people, not the superstars, but ordinary people are on Zoom all the time and they want to look good and yeah. uh, they need some things. And so one of the questions that I remember asking you before, I'm going to ask you now is, are you really this gorgeous or <laughs> is it your skill? How did I say it? Oh yeah, are you really this beautiful or is it just the lighting? <laughs> it's the lighting. <laughs> that was my answer. What, it's the lighting. What percentage of it, truly, what percentage of it is natural beauty and what percentage of it is makeup and angle and lighting and carrying yourself and confidence and all those other 
yeah, intangible things. Uh, well, in in regards to me, I mean, I, I, I'm very grateful. My dad was extremely attractive. Um, and I guess my mom was too. It's just that that personality, it's hard to see sometimes. Um, so I, I, you know, genetically I'm grateful. I didn't have to, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, I always think that in the industry that I came from, right, there's always somebody thinner, taller, better looking, sure. you know, better lips, better eye, whatever. So I, I don't think of myself actually as attractive. So that's why my first thing is it's lighting. But I think the most charismatic and that, you know, the name of my first company is Charisma on Camera. And um, my programs for horsepower consulting, my very first program was Charismatic Cowgirl. So charisma is a word that I've been working with for over 10 years now. Well, you and, have it. Well, people's definition of it is, is very interesting. And for the most part, um, they say it's extreme confidence. It's this and it's that. And like, well, you know what makes people really charismatic? There's two things. To be present, which is what we mentioned before. And then also to be passionate, to be excited about something. So when I am working with someone, it's not just the lighting and the sound and the framing of how they are on the camera or in their webcam or whatever. It really is the most important thing is their energy. And that comes from whatever lights them up. So when I started teaching people in front of the camera, I was teaching TV hosts back when people weren't just, you know, when we actually had hosts that would hop from show to show. I was teaching people how to host a show. And some of these were so scared that I would have to sit them down. And this is actually what I do with my business owners now and the, and the, the executives and the people that I have to get in front of a camera and get them comfortable. I talk about anything other than what they're going to talk about that day on the camera. I see what lights them up. It could be their kids. It could be their hobby. It could be, you know, maybe they collect cars. Maybe they go hella skiing. Like I've seen all of this that all of a sudden they change. And our, our brains, even through the lens, as we're watching a video, our brains will pick up those little sub, almost subliminal messages that we get because our brains notice that their skin flushes a little bit. Their, eye, their pupils dilate just a tiny bit. Their lips may flush or, you know, engage in just a little bit more fullness. Like it's crazy. You won't look at somebody and see these things, but somewhere in our little, you know, primal mind, we pick it up and we go, oh, that's interesting. Look, they're really excited about this. That's, that's what charisma is, is. And for those that are present and excited and curious about meeting someone else, they are the most charismatic people that you can meet because they find excitement in what they can learn from people and from situations. So, so charisma is attractive. It's not necessarily our traditional definition of beauty, but it's actually a stronger attraction. Yes, yes. It's, an, it's more of an energy than anything else. So if I can get someone to tap into that energy, say we're talking about sports or something, and then I go, okay, so tell me about your business. Bam, they go right into talking about their business and it's a totally different energy than when the videographer sits them down and says, okay, go ahead. Or five, four, <laughs> three, two. And then they just stand there like, this is awful, right? And then that's why I come along and I go, okay, let's talk about some other stuff. And then I just kind of get them into a different energy space and that is when things start to flow yeah i think that's one of the reasons steve jobs is so successful that you put him on stage he's got a new product coming out for apple and he and the whole world is enthralled with it i mean true apple did some innovative things but they still loved him not the people he worked for who worked for him necessarily but he on stage he captivated the audience, whether they were in the room or on the TV or wherever they were. And that's because he was always really excited about the new product he was bringing to the world. He believed in it and he thought this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And yes. it gave him this charisma. And he wasn't a particularly good looking guy either, but yet he was very attractive because of his person and passion, right, yes. his passion and his, his charisma. Passion so, and his focus. I'm not going to let you get off the hook here. You didn't answer my question. What? And that is, what percentage of your beauty, well, your attractiveness, is, is due to genetics or you? And what percentage is due to the things that you've done to uh, improve your looks on camera? I understand that the charisma part is something intangible. We can't really yes. figure that. Yeah. But I would think there was, maybe I'm just a scientist, but what, you know, what, how much do you, do you attribute to the technical things, the lighting, the angle, the, the makeup, all that stuff. The, you said angle. That's really interesting. That's, that's something else that I don't often talk to people about. But um, I think a good percentage of it, 
probably, and here's why, when you know how to make yourself look good, you feel better, right? You're going you're gonna to get sure. in front of the camera more if you're like, okay, I look good. And what happens is I speak to people that go, oh, I can't stand how I look on camera. So they don't even take, the, you go on their Facebook and there's not a single picture of them. It's Facebook. Hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Face you know? is in the title. Right. And so if you, if somebody does that, what happens? I, I automatically don't trust them or don't necessarily want to meet them because I can't see their face. And so it's very important for us to do that. And I think we hop in front of the, the camera a little more if we know how we look good, which is, yeah, some of it is makeup, but I always face the brightest source of light, which is what I'm doing now. And my source of light is not, I have a whole studio set up. That's not where I am right now. And we're sitting on Zoom and you're looking at me. I know your listeners are just listening, but you can see me and I'm sitting at my husband's desk. I have his desk lamp on and I have a little like $15 light clamped on to my webcam. But so that's lighting much. my face. Yeah. So when somebody comes to you and say, says, make me look good on camera, you say, well, first of all, you can go spend 20 bucks, get this light, get this, get some good lighting. It's easy to do that on your own time. What's really important is you're working on their head, right, on their mind, on how to, how to have the right attitude because that really is much more... Uh, impactful than from the inside out than the lighting and the angle and all that stuff besides the lighting and the angle is easy enough to tell somebody how to do it just like makeup is probably relatively easy yes Uh, yes. but the working on the person's attitude that's relatively difficult i think remember i said you asked what are the what are the people have in common that i tend to attract to work with as clients and and i said driven purpose driven And so to tap them into that state where they love to see themselves is when I can remind them of their purpose. So let's say somebody has invented um, or they're, let's just uh, make something up right now. They're, they run a charity for battered women Mm -hmm. and they have to do a video and they're very uncomfortable because they have all their head trash coming up and, and I'll say, okay, here's the thing. You're not talking at the camera. It has nothing to do with you. You're talking through that camera lens to, and I'll, I'll get a woman's name that this person has actually helped. And so I do this with, with people that are coaches. I'll say, who is the person that thanked you, like the person that you most loved working with, that you felt like you really changed their life? Or who is somebody that you really want to be able to touch and change with what your message is going to be? And I have them get really clear on who that is. And if they can get an actual person in their mind with a name, I bring up all this, it's kind of that actor's workshop thing where I bring back all the sense memory recall of that moment when that person might've shown gratitude towards them. And then I have them look through the lens and deliver what their message is because then it's tapped into their purpose. And when they see that, they go, Oh, I did pretty good. Like, yes, (laughs) you did. You're great. You know, we'll just do that every time. And I'll, I'll hopefully encourage them to remember how it felt in their body when they were in that space. And then we recreate that. And that's when people really start to like how they are. It's when they're in their head too much and they're not really present that they go, I, lo- I don't like how I look. Okay. That's really it. Tapping into who they're serving above what's going on in their head. So is that more effective than picturing everybody in their underwear? Yes. What was that? Like the Partridge family? Or what was oh, that? That's a fa- old thing. People say you're nervous on stage. Just imagine everybody sitting there in their underwear and they make you less nervous. But I don't know if that really works. Well, you're know, saying it really works. You're the Jesus out of me. Yeah, really. I know. Me too. But, you know, I've heard that said more than once. Uh, but I like your method a whole lot better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like to rather picture somebody that I know who I want to talk to and yes. imagine them sitting in front. And that's it, it, it lights you up. It's uh, much, much better. Yeah, and then you forget that there's 500 people listening to you because you're thinking about that one person. But Rob, this is what I tell people when I'm helping them with their, with their media, whether it's their podcast or their videos or anything. They may think, oh my gosh, so many people are out there. I go, no, no, no. Everybody is listening or watching alone. We're all receiving you, even if I'm sitting in the same room and I'm listening to the same podcast as somebody else, I am receiving it in my own way. You're talking to one person at a time when you're doing your podcast. Sure. We're talking to each other, but we're really doing this for one person at a time because they're all watching individually. They're all taking it in in their own world, you know, affected by their own their own experiences and they're seeing things in a very different way. So even if two people are sitting side by side and watching a TV show, they're having a slightly different experience. Absolutely. So that's the thing that you know, have to realize you, you're just talking to one person at a time and that makes it a lot easier. 
Uh, yeah, okay. I, I could definitely see that. All right, so we need to wrap up. And uh, so to do that, why don't you, here's your chance, tell people <laughs> how to get a hold of you, name your company, what it is you do, how much of it is prepping them for camera and how much of it is working on their inner self, whatever you want to convey. Uh, but give people, you know, two minutes here of who you are, what you do and how to find you. Yeah, I appreciate that. So Sandra D spelled out like the like the Grease character or the old 1950s actress, Sandra D. Robinson. Um, and that's my, that's my website. And you can, sandradrobinson.com. And um, you can also, if you Google that, all my social media will come up. I am not engaging in Twitter all that much these days, though I have to admit. So it's more LinkedIn, Facebook, um, Instagram, uh, and who knows what'll pop up, you know, within the next week I might hop on, but, um, so I'm very available and I'll do consultations as well. If people need to know a little bit more about what I do, but that's all up on the site. And yeah, I do. I am considered a leadership and charisma coach, which was given to me by the media. And at first I laughed. I thought that's a corny thing. And then I was like, well, that is actually what I do. <laughs> so <Corny's great. laughs> I guess I'll corny. just take that, you know, it's, it's corny, but okay. Um, and that's it. It's like, I really help people find that, um, strength, inside themselves to step into who it is that they're designed to be. So if that is a, a CEO that has to go out and, and speak for his company or somebody that is getting up in front of a conference that has never spoken before or a keynote speaker that really wants to knock it out of the park. So really any level of that, as far as performance goes, I, I work with. And the equine work is actually something that comes as kind of a piece de resistance, I guess. It's the four times a year I do a retreat that is primarily for women, but I will also, you know, consider doing groups as well. But four times a year, I have something that's specifically for women leaders. And so we come and work with horses and that's a lot of transformational inside out kind of work, but exactly for the reason that we were talking earlier, where we want to keep people from being exhausted so that they can actually enjoy the journey and move into exactly where they are designed to be. Cause that's really where that flow is going to be. And that's where good things happen. So. Sounds good to me. Um, one last thing I noticed on your website, you have a uh, how to look like an on camera pro in your zoom meetings. Because yes, it matters. That's my free freebie. crash course video. So if you go to her website, you'll see this pop up and you click on it. What's that about? That's 30 minutes of crash course. And how to look good on Zoom. So as we were, you mentioned the that's angle. That's technical that, size, right? Yeah. That's, that's more the more the technical stuff. Yeah, it's more the technical stuff. But that's that's what'll make you look good. And that's the first step. If you feel like you look good, you'll you'll do more. But I also talk a little bit about why it's important to light your face, like the neuro neurology behind that. The human reception of somebody being friend or foe comes from being able to see your eyes. So I I mentioned things like don't be backlit. We can't see your eyes. You know there. There's, it's pretty common sense stuff once I point it out, but you don't know what you don't know. Sure. And so if you're talking to somebody that has been in an office building most of their life and their career, they don't have the knowledge that I have of working in TV and understanding those things. So um, I just point it out. And then I think, you know, when you know better, you do better. So, yeah. Okay. That's great. Uh, so I encourage people to uh, take a look at that. Although, who knows when you're actually listening to this podcast? It could be two years from when we recorded it, and that There's may or may not be up there, but up there. something will be up there. <laughs> something, something free good. will be up there. <laughs> something great, something free, right? Will be up there. You'll be here. You'll probably still be in Austin, Texas, with your horses Hopefully. and your husband and whatever yeah. else is there. And okay, well, as you know, I just love talking to you. I could talk to you all day long. You're uh, definitely you. an engaging kind of person. You're easy to talk to. Likewise. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate you coming on my podcast. And if anybody wants to get a hold of Sandra D, easy. Just look her up at SandraDRobinson.com. Thanks for joining us today on the Amazing Women podcast. Subscribe now and get the latest episodes sent to your device every week. Go to our website, TheAmazingWomenPodcast.com to hear bonus episodes, download free business tools, and join our family of amazing women. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.